All right, so in, in, in a number of places in the Bible, God, in, in, in so many places in the Bible, God presented as three persons, yet one God. That's what we mean by the Trinity. When Jesus instructed his disciples to go and preach the gospel, when he gave them the Great Commission, he said, I want you to go to all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He said, I want you to baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Another instance where we see the Trinity. Now, let me give you two reasons why this is important. And the first is simply what we've been discussing all along. Number one, it's important that you know what you believe and why you believe it. I mean, I'm sure that if somebody asked you a yes or no question, do you believe in the Trinity, then you would say yes. I'm sure if you were taking a test and it was a true or false question and the statement was God is three in one, then you would mark that statement as true. But my question is not, are you familiar with what our church teaches? The question is not, are you familiar with the basic tenets of Christianity? The question is, can you take a Bible and defend this doctrinal belief? Can you take the Bible and articulate what is meant by the Trinity? Or would you be able to show someone from the Word of God uh, the essence of his nature as three persons but one God. You understand, we are supposed to, we are supposed to be witnesses. Here's, here, here's the second reason. We're supposed to be, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, this is still with the first reason. I'll give the second reason in a moment. We're supposed to be witnesses, right? We're supposed to proclaim the gospel. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to try to get others saved so they can have their sins forgiven and eternal life and a home in heaven. But our responsibility does not stop with witnessing, does it? In Matthew 28, that verse we just referenced, Jesus didn't say, go, just say, go preach the gospel. He said, go and then baptize and then teach. You understand all of us have been called to make disciples. We have not just been called to proclaim the gospel, though that is part of our calling. We've been called to proclaim the gospel so that people will believe the gospel and the people who believe the gospel, we're supposed to help them learn all about the Christian life so they can not only trust in Jesus, but also follow Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So our responsibility as Christians is not just to know and to preach the gospel, but we need to be able to take those who believe the gospel and get them established in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. It is not just the preacher's job to know the Bible. It's not just the preacher's job to be able to explain the basic things about God in the Bible. You need to be able to do that. Okay, So it's important to study the Trinity so that you can take and show someone this truth from the Bible. But secondly, it's just the importance of knowing God. It's the importance of knowing God. God wants us to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is not all about intellectual knowledge. We're not having a competition to see who can store more facts about God in their brain. 
But you have to start with some intellectual knowledge in order to deepen the personal relationship. I mean, that's how it works with human relationships. You don't get close to someone until you learn things about them. And the closer you get, the more you want to know all of those things about them. And so it works the same way with God. Um, Knowing God is about more than being able to list off theological facts or pass a Bible school test, but knowing God does begin with understanding from the Bible the way that he presents himself and how he defines himself and who it is that he claims to be. This book is the revelation of the nature of God's person, and the fact that he's a trinity is just part of who he is and in our efforts to know him, we ought to, we ought to know everything we can about him. Now let me show you the importance of knowing God. John chapter 17. We'll run these references quickly, then continue with our study today. John chapter 17 and verse number 3. The importance of knowing God. John 17 and verse number 3. The Bible says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You see how important that is? Knowing God is, a, is, is, is an aspect or a part of having eternal life. Because if you don't know who the true God is, you can't have eternal life. <laughs> a lot of people worship a God who is a figment of their imagination, A lot of people worship a God that they came up with in their own mind. God is not who you imagine him to be. God is who he said he is. And if you want to receive eternal life from him, you have to know who he is. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God. And who is the only true God? Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Here's what you have to know if you're going to have eternal life. That God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died on the cross for your sins and mine and rose again the third day and will save you and forgive you and give you eternal life as a free gift, not based on your church attendance, not based on your baptism, not based on your goodness, but if you will come to him a guilty sinner with no hope outside of what he did for you on Calvary's cross when he suffered and bled and died. If you will trust in him and trust in that, then he'll give you eternal life. But you've got to know that he did that, and you've got to know that's what he required. Knowing God is a part of having eternal life. But then it goes beyond that. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Turn with me there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. It's not the right verse at all. Skip that one. Philippians chapter 3, sorry, and verse number 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Now, knowing God, well, that's part of having eternal life, but it goes beyond that. It goes deeper than that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Who is writing this? Well, under the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit, this is the Apostle Paul. He was saved. He was a Christian, and he said, I want to know God. Well, didn't he already know God? Yes, he already knew God, but he wanted to know God more, and he wanted to go know God uh, deeper, and he wanted to know God on a, on a, on, on a, on a more personal level. He, want, he wanted to get close as he could to the Lord, and so know him not only intellectually, but know him on, on, on experientially. He wanted to experience a relationship with him, and so knowing all you can about God, it, there's just, you can't know too much about the Lord. So we're going to continue to study the Trinity. And I want to give you some illustrations this morning that help us try to understand how it could even be possible that God could be three persons and one God at the same time. I will give you a disclaimer before we even start. None of these illustrations are perfect. None of these illustrations completely match the essence of the Godhead, but the purpose of these illustrations is to show some other instances in which three are one, which helps us to understand the possibility of the Trinity. I'll repeat what we said last week. I'm okay with a God that is beyond the confines of my ability to completely fathom or comprehend. His ways are higher than our ways as the heaven is high above the earth. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts as the heaven is high above the earth. It just makes sense to me that God doesn't fit in my finite mind. If he is the infinite and eternal God, it, I can accept the fact that he doesn't fit in this little box that's inside of my brain. But some illustrations. We gave you a mathematical equation last time. One plus one plus one equals three. But one times one times one equals... I got that wrong last time, but it does equal one. So you can have three ones, and those three ones can equal three, or those three ones can equal one. Both are possibilities. Let me give you the illustration of water. This is one of my favorite illustrations for the Trinity. And again, it's not a perfect illustration, but it helps me. What is the, what is the chemical makeup? What is the chemical pont compound? How do, we, how do we express water scientifically, even if I didn't say that quite right? All right, help me out. H2O. H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. You put that together and you have water. Okay, now that can be found in three different forms right? It can be a solid, it can be a liquid, it can be a gas, it can be ice, it can be something you drink, it could be steam, it could be vapor. Now, if I have a block of ice right here, if I had a block of ice right here, what would be the chemical makeup? What would be the essence of that block of ice? It would be H2O. What if I had a, a bottle of water here this morning that I could drink? What, what would be the essence of, how would you express that scientifically? It's H2O, and then what if I boiled it and it started to vaporize and it started to become steam? What would that be? It would be H2O. So it doesn't matter what state it's in, it's still H2O. So you've got God the Father, and you've got God the Son, and you've got God the Spirit, and three persons, but it's still God. And it's one God. So there, there, there's one illustration. Um, there are many illustrations from creation. 
And we studied this not long ago as we went through the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. There are a lot of things you, you can learn about God by reading the Bible. There are some things you can learn about God by just observing the natural world. And one of the things you can learn about God by observing the natural world is the Trinity. Because so much in creation is tripartite. So much in creation comes in threes. The entire universe consists of time, space, and matter. One universe, three parts. Time exists in the past, the present, and the future. We already talked about uh, matter, that's solid, liquid, and gas. Space is length and depth or width and height, three dimensions. So there are all kinds of illustrations from creation, and we could go uh, on and on with that, but we'll stop right there with that illustration this morning. What about the illustration of marriage? This one, th this one helps me. Come to Genesis chapter 2. Let me read these verses to you. Marriage, in some aspects, is an illustration of the Trinity, just in the way that it is possible for more than one to be one. Does that make sense? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. Here is the first wedding ceremony. We had a wonderful time covering this in our verse-by-verse -verse study. I had a wonderful time covering this in our verse-by-verse -verse study of Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Genesis 2, 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now they, according to the rules of English grammar, is a plural pronoun. I know a lot of people now are deciding that their pronoun is they. You can't have a plural pronoun. You are one person. Okay? You might be schizophrenic. That's a psychological issue. Okay? They and there is not an individual's identity. They means more than one. In this case, a husband and a wife. An Adam and an Eve, by the way. That's the right way to do this. Okay? Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. Let's see what God says. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2. That was Adam speaking in Genesis 2. This is God speaking uh, in Genesis chapter number 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam, the day that God created man. The likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. People very confused about that these days. They haven't been for 6,000 years of human history. The Bible is very clear. God made them male and female. I'm okay with that. And he blessed them and called, look at this, called their name Adam. That was his name. But he called their name Adam. Do you know, do you know what God is doing? He is recognizing the unity of the marriage relationship. The Bible says in Genesis 2.24, when a man and a woman 
uh, are, are, are joined in the holy bonds of matrimony that two are one. Now, you guys have the privilege, the wonderful privilege of spending a lot of time with Mr. and Mrs. Brown, right? I can see the smiles on your faces as you just consider that fact, okay? Now, you guys look at us as two because I'm here and she's there And I've got my own set of eyes and ears and nose and arms and hands and legs. And thank God, she has a completely different set of all of those things. And there's some very real differences between the two. I mean, it would be creepy if marriage was some kind of Siamese twin thing. Okay, so in in, in every sense, we are two. But God said... We're one. Right? God calls our name David. (laughs) It's not Mr. and Mrs. Brown. It's it's just Mr. Brown. There's just two of us. Okay? So so, so in, in God's eyes, marriage is two people who are one person. Their name is Adam. They shall be one flesh. Okay? That's hard for us to understand, but it's in a similar way that there is Father and Son and Holy Ghost just as distinct and yet just as unified. Let's talk about resonance structures and then and then run some references. This morning, this is something else that we spoke about uh, in recent months. Everything in the universe is comprised of matter. Okay, and, and the smallest little unit of matter, all matter is comprised of these invisible little things called atoms. Thank you so much, Oriah. Atoms, A-T-O-M-S, not A-D-A-M-S. Atoms, everything's made up of atoms. An atom is made up of a positively charged nucleus that is orbited by negatively charged electrons. electrons. Somebody's paying attention in science class. In order for atoms to bind together, because that's how you make molecules, they share those electrons. And there are different ways that those electrons are arranged in certain molecules, and that is called their resonance structures. And so we gave this illustration that was given by um, a man who, who, who grew up in Islam. He grew up a Muslim. He eventually became a Christian, but one of his big hang-ups was this idea of a trinity. Muslims look at Christians as polytheists. They say that we have three gods because we believe in the trinity. Well, this, this Muslim was sitting in organic chemistry class listening to a professor, less, uh, a professor lecture. What did I say? A professor lesser? A professor lecture about resonance structures. You try this. It's not as easy as it looks, all right? So on the board, she's got these three large depictions of different types of rev- resonance structures. <laughs> and she said this. She said, technically... A molecule with resonance is every one of its structures 
at every point in time, yet no single one of its structures at any point in time. So it's all three at the same time, but it's all one at the same time. And here's this Muslim student who said the Trinity is not any kind of a possibility. You can't have three gods who are three persons who are one God, and, and he's sitting in organic chemistry class given, being given an example of something in nature that is three things but one thing all at the same time. And so if you ever need to prove uh, the Trinity to a Muslim, take organic chemistry and learn about resonance structures. Let's look at some verses in the Bible where all three members of the Godhead are present. Come to John chapter 14. You can't read the Bible and come away with anything other than the fact that God is a trinity. And, and the Bible is where we get our information about God. John chapter 14 and verse 26. John 14 and verse 26. The Bible says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, so there's one, whom the Father, there's two, will send in my name, Jesus speaking, so there's three. We've got the Comforter of the Holy Ghost, we've got the Father, and we've got Jesus Christ, all in John 14, 26. He shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Look at John 15, 26. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So Jesus returning to heaven and the Father sending the Spirit. Three persons of the Godhead all in one verse. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse number 14. 2 Corinthians 13 verse number 14. Have, have you ever been to a church where they give a benediction at the end of the service? They've got the order of service listed in the bulletin and the last item is the benediction the blessing that the pastor pronounces over the congregation here's the benediction that is often cited second Corinthians 13 14 the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all amen what do we have Jesus Christ one God two the Holy Ghost Three persons, one God. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Galatians 4 and verse number 6. Note all three persons of the Godhead here. Galatians 4 and verse 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we got Father, Spirit, and Son right there in Galatians 4, verse 6. Ephesians 2, 18. Ephesians 2, 18. This affects our prayer life. Ephesians 2 and verse number 18. The Bible says, For through him, in the context, he is our peace, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, verse 13. So through him, through Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles alike, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So we get to the Father by Jesus Christ through the Spirit, three persons, one God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 2. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 
number two. The Bible says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit an obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Why, why, do we read, why did we read all those verses? Just to point out the fact that in the Bible it is abundantly clear, unmistakably clear, that there are three persons and one God. And yet, you will find there are people who claim to be Christians who deny the doctrine of the Trinity. And in a future lesson, probably just one more lesson on this topic, we'll discuss some of those ideas and, 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 and why we believe still from the Bible that God is three in one. Now to finish up this morning, let's go through this list where not, not only are all three present in one verse or in one situation, but we see all three members of the Godhead working together in unity. The marriage relationship we, we gave as an illustration of the Trinity, there's the husband and there's the wife, and they take different roles and responsibilities and places in the home. It's not that the husband is superior to the wife. It's not that the woman is inferior to the man. God has just given each a specific place and role in the home, in the church, and in society. But they're to work together for the same goals and purposes. And it's the same in the Godhead. Why are there three persons one God, each works in conjunction with the other, and we see each active in these, uh, in, in, in these different ways, in these different situations. The first blank there is creation. We see the Trinity involved in creation. Genesis 1 and verses 1 and 2. Look at this with me. Genesis 1 and verses 2. 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we read John chapter 1, verse 1. We know who was there. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse number 3, all things were made by Him. So the Trinity, 1 John 5, 7, is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, we've got the Father, and we've got the Word, verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And a dozen more references we could run to show each member of the Godhead being active in creation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit active in creation. Let's skip ahead to the New Testament, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And this is in the Incarnation the incarnation that is the that is the act of god becoming a man that is god veiling himself in human flesh that is god entering the world as a little baby the incarnation luke chapter 1 verse 35 this is gabriel's message to a little virgin girl by the name of mary and the angel answered and said unto her the holy ghost shall come upon thee one and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee too. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Three. So we've got all three members of the Godhead active in Christ's incarnation. Matthew chapter 3. 
Matthew chapter 3, about 30 and a half years later, Matthew chapter number 3, well, 30 years and 9 months later, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 16, Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. It starts with being baptized by John the Baptist, which is a great proof for why baptism doesn't save people. Jesus doesn't need to be saved. Jesus didn't have sins that need to be washed away. That's not what baptism is for. John chapter 3, verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So picture yourself there by the Jordan River that day as John the Baptist puts Jesus Christ down in the water. You've got the Son of God standing in the river. You've got the Spirit of God descending from heaven like a dove. And you've got God the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. So you see all three members of the Godhead separate and distinct at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.14 is our next passage. Hebrews 9.14, this is the atonement. The atonement. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. So each are active in creation. Each is active in the incarnation. We see each in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And now in the atonement that Christ made for our sins. Look at this verse, Hebrews 9. In verse 14, the Bible says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, there's one, who through the eternal Spirit, there's two, offered himself without spot to God, there's three. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The fact that Jesus died on the cross is the greatest proof in the world that there's nothing we can do to atone for our own sins. There's nothing that we can do to undo our crimes and offenses against God. It took the sinless, spotless blood of God himself. That's why he became a man, so he could suffer, bleed, and die for our sins and offer us the free gift of eternal life. Let me just uh, give you the rest of these. You can fill them out and look at the verses Later on, the resurrection is next. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Galatians 1 says, Jesus raised himself from the dead. John 2 says, the Spirit raised Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 3 says. So the next is resurrection. And then we've got some aspects of the Christian life. Conviction is a work of the triune Godhead. Conviction, that is the, uh, a sinner being brought to the realization of his position before God and being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. John 6.44 says the Father draws sinners to himself. John 12.32, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. John 16, verses 8 through 11, the Spirit will reprove men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So conviction is the Trinity all working together. Salvation is the next item on the list. Salvation, if you read Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, we've got Jesus Christ offering himself, the Holy Spirit regenerating us, and God the Father uh, giving us 
eternal life. So Titus 3, 4 through 6 is salvation. And then the indwelling. The indwelling is the next item on the list. The Bible says, Whosoever confesseth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Well, who is it? Is it the Father, is it the Son, or is it the Holy Ghost? Yes. Because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 says, The Father dwelleth in us. And Colossians 1.27 says, The mystery is Christ in you. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So if you are saved and born again this morning, you are indwelt by the triune Godhead. God the Father is in you. God the Son is in you. God the Spirit is in you. And then the last item on the list this morning, preservation. I'm thankful that I'm not responsible for for getting myself saved. I only had to believe on Jesus Christ. But I am not responsible for keeping myself saved. That is not dependent on how I perform in the Christian life. That is something that God does as well. Well, 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 who does it? The Father does it, 1 Peter 1.5. We're kept by the power of God. The Son does it, Jude 1.2. I'm preserved in Jesus Christ. The Spirit does it, Ephesians 4.30. We are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. So God's a trinity. We need to know that. We need to understand that. We need to be able to, to teach that, to establish that, to articulate that, to defend that. We want to be thankful for it this morning as we see the Trinity working together in conjunction on our behalf for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. Uh, Let's pray and we'll be done this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that we can know who you are and thank you that we can know you personally. And Lord, I pray that would be our heart's desire this morning. Uh, God, to know you better, to serve you better, to love you more. May you grant it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.